Welcome to another episode of the Strive for 25 podcast, where our team is helping people build their financial freedom. And one of the things we talk a lot about is saving and investing 25% of one's income. And I'm your host, Joel Farrell. And each week we dig into the ways that people are generating more income to be able to save more money and the ways that they are investing that hard earned dollar. And lastly, the how, how people are making these changes. Because again, we're talking about changes. We're talking about changing behaviors. Let's get into today's content so we can help you on your financial journey towards living a life with the power of choice. Welcome to another episode of Strive for 25. Joel Farrell here, and I've got a really cool guest, somebody that I've known for a long time, uh, Joseph Mooney from St. Louis. So Joe, can you give our audience a little bit of the background on uh, who you are? Yeah, uh, my name is Joe Mooney. I have uh, owned my company, Tended Cellars uh, Wine Collection Services, for uh, almost five years now. Started in April 2018. Um, I do private wine cellar consulting work for home collectors, um, and that is everything from finding wine for them, cleaning up existing inventory, logistics of moving between homes or into a new cellar or eliminating some inventory out of their collections literally any piece of the wine collection like world i can help uh, i've got a, a network of retailers and professionals and restaurateurs and other people in the industry coast to coast i've been doing this kind of work for about i guess coming up on 10 years now um and uh 10 years no 15 years now. And uh, so, yeah, I, like over that time, just working with a bunch of professionals in the industry, you just make friends, you make, you get to know people. And uh, that's what I do. Well, anyway, I, I get to know people, uh, you know, coming from a background in the service industry, that's what I'm good at is good at talking to people and making connections. And I mean, anybody who's watching this from St. Louis knows that in St. Louis, it's all about the network. It's all about who, you know, not as as heavily on what you know i mean it's all about making those connections in town and you know you don't call for a plumber cold in st louis you ask for a, a referral <laughs> i mean there, there's so much to unpack with that and i i, I want to just say out loud again this channel it's all about the everyday person building wealth getting ahead and it's harder and harder these days than it never has been with the cost of living going up um and then coming out of covid you know you got people that have been starting their businesses and working remotely and doing things just doing all kinds of creative things to be able to survive especially coming through 2020 21 with the lockdowns or not and you know we're talking to somebody about saving money uh so this is this the quick uh piece of info on the savings equation the savings equation is very simple it's income minus your expenses equals your savings and all kinds of content out there about cutting your expenses and meal prep and doing a budget but at the end of the day, you spend enough time on that, you know, it's not going to make you wealthy, right? So what's the other part of that equation that you can also control? Well, income and can you can increase income? In some regards, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've talked so much on this channel about, you know, building something outside of yourself. Are you building someone else's business, someone else's dream, someone else's wealth, or are you going to be building yours? And so, so many people have followed, found a passion or, you know, followed the passion to do something on the side and then ramp it up and at some point in time be able to turn it into a full-time job a full-time business and that's kind of what yeah, you've that's, done. Ex that's exactly how i started i you know i prior to this i was working a job that i really loved uh with a group of people that i would enjoy working with um you know but it was in the the brewing industry and people get into the brewing industry because they love it not because they expect they're going to make a million dollars <laughs> so it was just one of those things that uh i was presented with the opportunity to get back into the wine cellar consulting world from a, pre, a prior client. And uh, so it just, it started as exactly what you're saying, a supplemental income, you know, a, the, what is it? The Gen Z millennial move of everybody's got a side hustle to make ends meet. Uh, mm -hmm. That was purely what this started as. It was just a side hustle doing something I knew I liked to do and I knew I was good at doing. And, you know, kind of, as you, as you mentioned with, with the pandemic, shutting everything down service industry jobs brewing jobs all of those from in my own perspective gave me the opportunity to say well i guess i've got nothing but time now to to try to to make this a real thing i mean i've the only the only limitations on my business at that point were me and so 
I decided to go ahead and just start putting some infrastructural pieces into place and make, okay. try to make it a legit business. So, you know, I want to take this and kind of go backwards in time in just a second and start kind of from the beginning of how you got into the service world and your, your journey along there. And then uh, we were recently talking about, you know, because you're working at Civil Life when mm-hmm. the pandemic hit, Civil Life Brewery, uh, working at the brewery and talking about the unemployment benefits being so high at that point in time that it was, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't an incentive to try to find another yeah. job. At that as, as we all knew in, in small markets like St. Louis, where the cost of living is so much lower than it is nationally, uh, you know, the national unemployment rate was, I mean, it was higher than we were, than we were potential uh, many people in the service industry. I can't say all, I don't want to speak to anyone's, you know, pay structure, but a lot of people in the service industry on unemployment were making more money than they were at work. Um, and so, Yes, it's a dis- disincentive. It disincentivizes you to go out and try to find something. But also, if you're somebody like probably yourself and myself, where sitting on our hands just leads to like uselessness and and fidgeting and like I, I couldn't do it for long enough without diving into a pit of despair and, and misery. So I had to do something, you know. And whether it was helping a buddy out doing doing some building work or whatever I needed to get myself, I needed to get myself up off the couch and doing something bit you know, practical. And I already had this business moving. I already had an LLC started. So it just made it, it made nothing but sense for me to start looking at building a website finally to start finally get, you know, a, a, a server up and remote load running and, and business cards printed, you know, like th- those little pieces that when it's a side job and it's bringing in a couple extra bucks, aren't as, functional or necessary it's because it's a, it's, it's your it's your second uh priority to your main job which mm-hmm. all of a sudden the main job being gone it was convenient for me to make that my main thing and you know that's all it really took to make it self-sustaining and functional um so i mean a lot of people talk about from two different perspectives of starting a business with a friend of mine who started one suffers I guess suffers is, the, is maybe not the right term, but from uh, like imposter syndrome because he felt like it was so easy to get into. And other people yeah. talk about yeah. overcoming massive hurdles and struggles to make their their thing grow and start and all that kind of thing. I would say I was probably closer to the the imposter syndrome set of things where I had already kind of set myself up to see opportunities and take them as they came and. Um, so it wasn't hard for me to step back into this. It's something I knew well as a client base that I already knew very well as a market that I had been very comfortable in pre- prior to to now. So it was it was easier for me to get in, and I almost you know personally shamefully easy, if, if you will. Well, they you know you hear the word you know make your own luck kind of a thing. You know, opportunity you know meets preparation, and yeah, and you've done a lot of work, and you know naturally whether you knew it or not, you were preparing for this. Yep. Yeah you know, uh, along the way with all the hard work you've been doing and the connections. And you mentioned last time we spoke about connections and, and you're leveraging your network being a really important part of this. But for the listeners out there, what I want to do is just kind of take this kind of um, uh, timeline from mm-hmm. earlier on earlier on in your journey yep. and kind of how that led to you. Because you, you think a little bit differently than the normal person. You're not that nine to five clocking, five clock out uh, yeah, guitar type of person, right? And there's a ton of people that are, that are similar out there. Um, so where do you want to take well, a lesson it, to? Where, where, where do you want so to start with? I, I am where I am because of hardships that I guess I tried. I guess I took on pretty pretty far back in my my own personal history. Like I, like you said, in college was setting myself up for a middle management office desk jockey job. Um, doing a business administration and marketing degree and getting by in college, but I found myself my junior year finding that I hated all the classes that I was taking in my business degree. I was, I was so frustrated by all the things that they were teaching me because there were things I knew either. I felt like I knew already or felt like put me in the scenario. I'll learn it faster. Or I, I just felt frustrated by the process and I hated all of the classes. So I kind of turned my life upside down in the midst of like a hardcore panic attack. Um, and fully switched gears to uh, an English degree, went abroad, uh, like completely changed my trajectory. And it was, I was, 
I, like I said, having a panic attack, I was terrified of expectations not being met in my family and for myself and not going where I was supposed to be going, not taking the expected route. Like when we talk about my struggles to being where I am, that was probably like the, the pinnacle of like learning to, to trust myself and my instincts and my, my desires for what I'm spending my time on. Um, because from that point on, my grades were straight A's. My attention to my work was, was vastly improved. I was way happier. Um, I didn't go to law school. Like I said, I was going to, but I got through the degree and, uh, <laughs> ended up working at a job that I had, uh, found through a friend of a friend. And like, that's kind of where I, what I've mentioned earlier is that I'm, I'm good at networking. I, you know, St. Louis is a small community. It teaches you to network kind of intrinsically from the get-go. And being a kind of a, an interactive sort, always in the service industry, like I said before, uh, I, I liked to talk to people and I was good at talking to people and I was, I was good at keeping connections alive to use that. So my first job out of college was the friend of, of a guy who I was serving in college and he just so happened to be in my fraternity. And then from there, I got into my next job because he taught me about wine and I got into the service and, or the, the collection industry. So it was literally, I, 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 I laughed that in my, at this point of owning my business and having worked professionally since college, I've never once used a resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I really want to dig into that because, you know, there's so many different ways that people are creating, you know, uh, a life and earning income and creating income and all kinds of ways, whether it be online or, you know, on Upwork or Fiverr or they're consulting, just a million different ways. And so you got that first job from a contact and you're working in- I was in the wine industry the, at that point. The, the wine industry. was a wine bar in St. Louis, Missouri. Wine bar. So did that job require a degree? No. Didn't require a degree. No. I mean, so the people that you're working with could have been whatever background, they just, they wanted to work, they, they were good enough at the job. Yeah. So you went from, I mean- whatever you want to call that job in terms of the requirements. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have to have a degree or a master's no. you, at that level to fast forward the clock. How many years? Well, and I guess there might, the, the hardship there, I guess I'm wired to not register. It, you know, like I've always advanced because my work ethic is keep your head down, churn, keep a smile, a smile on your face, be the hardest worker and the happiest face and like yep. it's just helps i you know i before long i was the the, man, the general manager of the the wine shop and being noticed by this guy who wanted to hire me to travel the country doing wine cellar consulting work because the, like i intrinsically try to strive and i think you know people some people might find that really difficult and really tiring i find it naturally occurring and so that was beneficial for me and and very lucky for my just to have that innately mm -hmm. um and so it, it wasn't from, it wasn't pure dumb luck. It was hard work, but being in the right positions to, to see the next opportunity kind of thing too. So like, I guess I'll, I'll give you an example of something that, I, that I'll relate it to from my own personal journey. So there was a job that I did uh, in college. So I was at, uh, you know, WashU. I was going to night school, playing baseball. And I was working in a frozen foods distributor and literally in a freezer with a cold suit on and a hat and gloves and whatever. And, you know, you got paid a bonus for how fast you worked and this and that. And so like, I was in good shape. I was, you know, doing this and that. So I was literally running, running this job. You know, I would work from like three o'clock in the afternoon to like one o'clock in the morning in the summers and in breaks or whatever. So like I started making good money. Like base was like 12 bucks an hour and you can make up like six bucks an hour. And this is 20 years ago. Yeah. So and for a kid, 19, 20 bucks an hour is good money. And this is people's regular job. That This is not where I wanted to be, yeah. but I was hustling because I wanted that. I wanted to be able to do well. You know, I wanted to be able to also make money for the day, pay, 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 pay for college. But like at the end of the day, there are some people that they were just clocking and clocking out. They were okay with 13 bucks an hour, 14 bucks an hour, but they're missing out on an opportunity. Right. So the person that's starting that job, you know, whatever job in that same level, you know, making whatever wage that not, not where they could be in a year or two. Yeah. It's an opportunity. If you do it well, you bust your ass, you know, you're setting yourself up for the next opportunity. Someone can notice you and whatever. Yeah. And if you're just getting by, you're going to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that's why I really want to dig into that because it doesn't matter where you are. 
you can't change the past, but you can change the future with your work ethic, like you said, mm -hmm. your desire, uh, like, like you mentioned. And so, uh, okay, so so civil life. So it was, uh, I was at, well, at 33. 33, that's right. 30. I, uh, I started taking the, the, the wine tests, started building my base of knowledge because I get into that job at the nicest wine bar in the city. <laughs> and I knew zero zilch about wine at all. And uh, so it, I had to hit the ground running and taking classes and learning as much as I could, I, like working a full time in a wine bar without knowing much of anything. Um, so I had to fast track that. And before long, found myself uh, in front of a of a, an offer that I actually kind of pushed off for about a year to go into the doing the work that I currently do with another another firm and um because it just didn't feel right I was at you know at this point I was starting to feel a bit more comfortable with the idea of like if of trusting my instincts trusting my gut it took me I think it wasn't until my you know late 20s early 30s where I really could solidly tell when I should and shouldn't take a step um but got into that job and so we got got into his job doing the, the seller consulting work with another firm and uh doing really? similar work that I'm doing now with okay. a different firm. Okay, so the seller consulting work at that point in time was that a side thing or a full time? That was my full time job that I went from this 33 into that side that the seller work company. And okay. I worked what, what year was that? That would have been beginning of seven, and I worked with them until 2013, middle of 13. Okay. And you'd already gotten your sommelier. I'd already taken the, the one of four sommelier tests, but with 33. Uh, and that's where, you know, like that was, a, it was time needed to be spent on studying for that. It was, it was the most I'd ever studied, I think in my life on something, but I was, in, I was interested in it. I was passionate about it. I really enjoy, I, I enjoyed then and still do today. I enjoy the industry. It's a very cool and dynamic and ever changing universe of information is new every single year um so that was a lot of fun for me to to, to learn about so I, I when a an even more solid full-time job and you know a daytime hours not weekends with travel and all these perks came up i was super excited about it and it was a great it was a really cool learning opportunity of like one getting to all of a sudden at the age of whatever it was 24 or so drinking like the best wine in history, not only in the current time, but like any time <laughs> and without really knowing what I was like getting myself into. And all of a sudden there's billionaires that are taking my advice on like wine purchasing and, and like they're making market moves by buying hundreds of cases to just like own an asset that they can then turn around and like, and put back into the market when that once it's deflated and that so it was like can, can you just take one second and give an example of like a vintage or type of work well, give us an example so the two, 2005 bordeaux came out when i was in this this job and at that time 05 bordeaux was like seen as like the be-all end-all vintage it was the best vintage in history and it was going to be this big thing and everybody was going crazy about 05 bordeaux and uh so there were people there's i knew guys who were booed by 250 cases of like 10 different wines just to have as a, you know, a portfolio enhancing item where they could then once it, once it skyrockets, they can dump it onto the market, make a bunch of money and do it the next time. So another so comes up. Bordeaux at that, at that moment in time, when it was coming out, they were buying it for how, how much of a case or how much a bottle? Ranges as in any market, but uh, you know, they're the, the things that made sense to buy in that quantity would probably have been in the, Five hundred to a thousand dollar bottle range. Um, so these guys are dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars on these things, if not millions. A very small number of people doing this, but those were the kind of clientele that we were talking to, and it was it was a wild trip for you know a sub thirty year old in my mind dummy talking to these guys who are you know major international players in not not just the wine industry but their own industries, you know like banking industries in New York and the real estate industries in Miami and the entertainment industry in, in Hollywood. It was like, we were all over the place. It was a wild, wild ride. Uh, and it got me those connection points that I have been able to kind of retain now that I had left that business kind of took I another hard step. I, I, I needed, I, I figured out after about seven years that I needed to step away from the, the industry for a minute just to get 
you get sucked into that super high-end world where uh, you see all these fun and nice things and before too terribly long, all of a sudden you think you can live in those comfortable and fine and funny, nice things. And I needed to kind of take a reality check, step back. And I took a massive, massive step, pay step backwards, mm-hmm. but a massive quality of life step forwards, which allowed me to get happy back happiness back into my life to recenter my priorities. And that allowed me to have this, the kind of the personal perspective to know where a healthy place the wine industry could be in my life. And was what, what led me to opening my own company because I could do it on my own terms. I could work with the people I wanted to work with. And that's been the, that's been a beauty of, of owning my own businesses. I get to, I get to dictate the, the, the vibe of the of the company, the the project, the trajectory of of growth, the interaction style with clientele. Um, you know, whenever I was working for somebody else, I was constantly trying to mimic how ownership would do something, trying to do it the way that they would want it done. And I was constantly frustrated because it wouldn't have been the way that I would have done it. And that that internal like struggle told me, I, I knew at, when I took the job at Civil Life after the, after moving out of the industry um, that I probably had to become my own boss because I was constantly beating my head against the wall trying to to perfectly emulate the, the ownership style and not my own. And it was incredibly uncomfortable. Because you would do it more efficiently. In my own way. way. In my own way, yeah. It's, it's, it's like playing, you're, I found myself trying to play the owner. The, the role of the owner or what the owner would do. So it was a constant guessing game of what, how would they do this? What would they do? How do I make this the way that they would want it to be done instead of just doing it the way that I know it could be done and well and fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I needed to be my own boss because I could be happier ultimately in having that kind of control. I mean, hell, most people who start businesses, it's probably a lot about the control aspect of like being right. able to do the thing you want to do the way you want to do it. <laughs> So I, I want to dig uh, a little bit deeper on just the, the process of starting the business and that kind of uh, arc. Uh, but I don't know if I did this before, but where can the listeners find you at online? So my website is tendedsellers.com. That's the name of my business. Uh, like you tend a garden, tended seller. Seller being a wine seller, C-E-L-L-A-R. So thank you for spelling that. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so I'm, my website's there. I'm on Instagram at uh, tended sellers and uh my linkedin is my name jay mooney zero zero uh my personal instagram is jay mooney zero zero as well um and uh so yeah i mean that's the way to reach out to me um and uh yeah like with with my business doing these kinds of things is it's key because referral or personal connection is how the the fine wine business runs it's the engine on which it runs meaning like it's all about knowing a wine guy or i've got a wine guy to refer you know nobody is cold calling you know a wine collection service for five thousand bottle collection they want somebody who's already using them to tell them that this guy's good kind of a thing so my business is fully run on word of mouth so Uh, being good like what does actually mean in your industry being good at what exactly Attention to detail is huge because you're in, when you're working with inventory numbers, you know, you could be one wine wrong could mean a difference of thousands of dollars in a collection's value. And, you know, if, if their insurance coverage isn't up to date and they have a fire or a flood or whatever the case may be, a total loss, that those kinds of mistakes can cost tens of not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So attention to detail, knowing the the wine industry in general as well, like constantly reading, constantly being up to date on what's happening, knowing where the market is moving, you know, knowing when to offload certain aspects of your collection because they're they're churning in the secondary market. Um, so knowledge, attention to detail, and then just personability. I mean, I found a huge boost to my company of simply caring about the client rather than about the invoice. Um, I would prefer to have a long-term client that I can, that I have years and years ahead of me with instead of trying to maximize a single invoice and a single exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if that costs me a few bucks here and there in the short term, I, it, I'd rather get I'd rather have a, a lifetime client out of it. And it's a relational thing for me. I, 
I because I couldn't work with certain clients in my past, it taught me that I didn't have to with my own business. <laughs> you know, like it it for me it's about it's more about a comfort level for myself, for my client, for all that kind of things that that than it is about maximizing every single dollar coming into the door. That's my own appro- approach. Because mm-hmm. um, it'll it affords me a, a much higher level of like personal uh I guess revenue. Yeah, yeah like looking at long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I wanna I wanna be able to dig deeper on the the process, but then mm-hmm. uh before I go backwards in time. So you've been doing this you've full time for how long is since the beginning of the pandemic. So okay. So now you're you're we're 2022 going on 23. Yeah. So we're we're almost well, in the third year. Third, the third full year. Mm-hmm. So what's the biggest hurdle? right now that you have to overcome to get to the next goal? What, and what is your next goal? Well, it's always good to build a book. So it's, 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 you, you always want a solid rotation of new clientele coming in the door because some people might quit drinking and want to liquidate the seller or somebody might just lose interest and get rid of the collection because it's worth more than their interest level is at. So for me, the biggest struggle now is simply just building a fuller book. Um, and, uh, you know, that just simply means trying to maximize the contacts that I already have, meaning like knowing them all knowing that any kind of, any contacts they've got, I'm all ears kind of an idea. And that it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's kind of a, it's kind of a hard sell that I don't terribly enjoy, but it's the way that it, like my business keeps going is if my clients know that I'm hungry for any new business that comes their yeah, way. I'm advocating for, for myself. They're taking care mm-hmm. of yeah. okay. mm-hmm. So um, goals go where I'm going. That's it. I mean, just building a, building a, a book by, you know, trying to get five new sizable clients a year would is, is good growth because they're potentially, once I've got an inventory done, they've become, maintenance clients and buying clients. And once we know what your seller looks like, then we can start massaging the inventory and getting rid of some things or getting new things. Then the relationship starts from that piece, you know? So those adding those new clientele is a, is a, is a big goal. What, what kind of distribution would you say to geography? Nationwide. So I've got, I've got work I've done in Phoenix, Arizona. I've done work in Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska. Um, there's some people in Louisiana that I've worked with. Um, so yeah, I'll go anywhere. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a valuable commodity. So when people see the value of having full visibility on what could potentially be, you know, a half a million dollars value sitting in a room in your basement or offside in storage or whatever the case may be, then the, the, the idea of taking proper care of it becomes a little bit more functional. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not a, it's not a cheap industry because the, the items are very, very invaluable. They, they can be some priceless, some things yeah. you can't replace kind of thing. So if I'm somebody out there and I don't know much about wine, let's say I drink Lambrusco. No offense to anybody who drinks Lambrusco. I drink Lambrusco. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but if, you're, if, you, if you want to get into where you are, which may be zero, into learning more about wine and trying something <laughs> and appreciating it, like my own personal journey, I didn't know anything about wine, so I got into some jobs coming out of college, working with Third Degree Wine Bar with you, and then also the multi wine. So I had I had to learn about it. So the more I learned about it, the more I, I enjoyed it, right? So what kind of advice would you give to somebody that wanted to take the first step and learn more about wine? Yeah, and in the in the very beginning stages of wine, especially from what my perspective, it's one, drink. Drink wine. <laughs> Uh, that's the easiest and most enjoyable aspect of what, like what I do and learning about it is just drinking it. But the difference being drink with intention, meaning read about what it is you're drinking, put words to the flavors that you're tasting, because ultimately a a beginning wine drinker effectively has, has zero vocabulary for how to describe what it is they're drinking. And being able to put words to the flavor profile is what's going to help you identify things from different regions and different flavor profiles and different ages. So it really is about drinking 
regularly, but with intention, even if that means taking notes, so be it. If that means drinking with a, uh, a an open wine book, so be it. But just yeah, like trying to get data for any time that you're drinking, okay. uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't drink for joy and forget <laughs> about all that from time to time either. But right. Still. So, you know, in this time, you know, inflation's high, cost of living is high. So some people are cutting back on a lot of things. So somebody may be out there looking for, you know, a lower end, you know, less expensive type of wine. Um, does something come to your mind that is less expensive, that's good, decent, and then you'd be able to also then take some of the flavors off, off flavors off the top of your brain and actually put words to them? The easiest, one of the easiest places that I've found to start is with New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, uh, snap. It's one of my favorites. Okay. A little Tim Crawford. They, they, and the reason that they're easy is because the flavor profiles of that wine are very distinct, meaning... If you drink a, a bottle of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, you're definitely going to taste grapefruit. Mm -hmm. You're definitely going to taste like fresh, like mowed grass. Like those two flavors are very prominent in that wine, and it it was a it was a a revelation for me. It was a it was a, a bottle of oh I wish I could remember the name of the winery, but uh, I remember it was a a, a silver cap screw top. But um, it blew my mind that grapes had made these flavors that tasted like grapefruit and grass that blew me, blew me away. And it was then that I was like, Oh, okay. So I have to dissect what is going on in this thing and, and look at things beyond, Oh, it tastes grapey. You know, like putting more words to that gives you a vocabulary to start describing and start remembering and start identifying. That's ultimately what it is. It's just building a vocabulary. Um, as far as like finding things that are you know inexpensive and, and functional to drink, my first kind of push is to put them into a a local wine shop because everyone's taste is different i could suggest something that i think is delicious to somebody and they may hate it so like i hesitate i always hesitate to to give a recommendation of somebody says i want a good bottle of wine I'm like well, everybody every bottle of wine is good in some respect somehow even a bottle of yellowtail is good for somebody somehow and you know like and they all have their use and their function kind of idea um but go to a, I tell people, go to a local wine shop and meet the guy. Explain or, to him. Or, or girl. Or anybody else. Yes, right. Meet the person. <laughs> You're right. The salesperson. And uh, and have a conversation with them. Tell them what you like. Have them suggest some things in your price range for you to take home, to explore, to investigate, and bring back information to them. Because the more information you give them, the better options you're going to get back. Good in, good out. <laughs> Um, and, and as we're talking about this, like, like I mentioned to you previously, like, you know, the wine Bible that you had me read in like 2005. Yeah. Um, I remember That's reading, reading, you know, something about, cause I, I love, I love, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, right. From New Zealand. That's mm -hmm. one of my, my favorites. I'll go get that any day. And then, you know, I'm not a sweet wine drinker, but I do like kind of that tart, you know, taught. You know, Riesling, Riesling. Mm -hmm. and I'll say it's in Riesling. France. And I remember reading about the region and the mountains and why the the climate makes the grapes more you know potent in terms of flavor. I don't know. I'm I'm making this up. Is it? No, it's true. Riesling from all of us are richer, bigger than the Germans. But like, I get excited about it because you know once I learned that, I had an appreciation for it. So when I see an Alsace, you know, reverse demeanor, you got back, yeah. back, and then, and then I can Contact. enjoy it better, and understand it better. And that's what a lot of this stuff all comes down to, whether it be food or or wine. And so as I'm talking about this, and I'm getting excited about it. I, I think you're getting excited about talking about myself. why I didn't bring a bottle of wine. We should have. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I'm a big basketball guy. So JJ Reddick, I think out there has a, a podcast about wine and bring, bring people on and drinks, drinks wine. Uh, but anyway, but you're in business with your passion and like, like going figuring back out, and figuring out a way to monetize that is that's right. That's the thing. You know, like I got, I find myself to have been lucky to have found a passion. I, I fell into this passion, you know, like no, very few people in St. Louis get into wine because they want to get into the wine industry. A lot of it's just like, I work in a restaurant. I learned about wine. And then I was in a wine bar. I wonder about more about wine. Like it's, an, it's almost always an accident in this a market like St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cali, New York, all those bigger markets, they probably do it unintentionally, but um, it's an easy industry to be to fall in love with you know you're paid to to drink well i mean that who's going to argue with that um so 
the the hard thing for everybody is that it's not going to be wine for everyone but there is a there is something there mm -hmm. for everyone that they really love and it's a matter of just figuring out a way is this monetizable right that's tough because not, not everything is <laughs> you love basketball you're not getting paid to play basketball i'm not getting paid to play basketball or watch it i mean i'll not force if i can go see a game for free i don't care um <laughs> Hey, hey, John Moran, if you're out there, I'll come. I'll come clean your shoes. I'll lace your shoes, whatever. And if you got a, a wine cellar, I'll help out. Right. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So 2018, you started. You started tenant sellers. Tenant sellers. Yep. So and what? What did you time do for two years? What, what What did you do? What was the first? Okay, I'm going to do this. How, how long? How long were you thinking about it before you actually said, "Boom, I'm going to start the LLC." Okay. An old client came to me and asked if I would come and do wine cellar like cleanup and maintenance work for him on the side, knowing I had a full-time job. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just start an LLC. If I'm going to be doing this for cash on the side anyway, I might as well get the benefit of owning a business and the, the tax incentives at the time before the tax uh, code was changed. And um, <clears throat> they, and, uh, and so did you set up, up the LLC yourself? Set up the LLC. I had, well, I have a, a much more intelligent person than myself <laughs> doing the books for my, for my company uh, who helps me with all the paperwork of setting up the federal like uh, identification number, the state licensure um, and like how to, how to structure doing books. Cause I know wine. I don't know QuickBooks or okay. like tax code or anything like that. So okay. I, it was for me, it was another in, instance of, kind of utilizing the network of people I know who are better at what they do than I am at what they do. Um, so finding, you know, somebody who to help me put, set up that, that license. So LLC license, mm -hmm. QuickBooks. Um, well, Excel sheet, but Excel, Excel sheet ultimately like and, and then the same there. deal. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, that's it. I just kind of started doing that, keeping track, keeping you know records on my, for myself in an Excel sheet and, sending my records off to to my to my connection to, to do the books for me you know at the end of the year and so i took a really kind of casual approach to it because i was working full-time in another job this was just pure extra cash on the side mm -hmm. um <clears throat> fast forward two years and the the world comes to a screeching halt and at that point like we were saying i'm, I'm paid to sit on the couch so i might as well keep myself busy with keeping this thing that I can control, whether it's running or not running. If, you know, within reason of going to people's homes, that's tough during a pandemic, but I could sell wine because everybody's stuck at home and wants to drink wine. Mm -hmm. So I did a ton of brokerage during that time of finding wine at retailers across the country, shipping it to their home, to people's homes, because everybody was looking to just expand their collections or get into their collections or whatever the case may be. So, um, so I just sat at home and just started tinkering away at making tended sellers a bit more structurally sound. That meant putting together a, a website. I had no idea how to do a website. So again, I tapped a friend. Uh, thank you, Caitlin, Caitlin Franz, uh, who was just very good at that kind of thing. She is very good at that kind of thing. And I'm not. So I wrote a bunch of copy. I gave her a bunch of photos and she gave me a beautiful website in exchange. And like, we, we, it, I am, I found myself maybe smart enough to know how dumb I am, I guess, it, mm -hmm. kind of a clunky way of saying, like, finding the people that I know who are better at things than I am to do things that I'm not strong in. Uh, I don't like beating my head against the wall of things that I know I'm bad at, so I'd rather net, use my network to, to, do, to, to help with that. Totally. Um, <clears throat> It can be an uncomfortable thing for people. I don't find it to be all that comfortable myself. Maybe that's a drawback. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So, so businesses, it, I think this year, I think a lot of, a lot of industries are down a little bit, but uh, was just, you know, tightening up with the economy, but you've got another side project that you're also doing. Well, in any, in, in any market, in any condition of the market, the wine industry is always, is very well insulated because when, when there's a bunch of money in the market, people are buying a bunch of wine because they've got flush pockets. When there's a down market, people are offloading a bunch of wine because they want cash in their pocket. And those who are making money right now are sucking all of that up. So there's no bad cycle for the wine industry. Um, it's made every single year, no matter whether the market's good or bad. So it's, it's going to be there no matter what. Um, so I'm I'm benefiting. I I am uh, 
it's a good market to be in because there's always there's always movement to be made in in the wine market, especially on the second. Somebody buying at a discount, somebody selling at a yeah. premium, so something wrong, something, yeah. something's going on. Okay, yeah. but yeah, while everything was kind of downturned, had the opportunity of kind of brainstorming another way of using a piece of what my business was doing with, which was pairing wines for private events in people's homes because people were bubbles with their people and they would just do events in their homes with their close bubble. So I, I would pair wines with, with menus for private collectors and a friend of mine and I um, were chatting about how he could expand his business as a private chef. And I had done a bunch of events with him as the wine pairing side of things kind of independently and, uh, we were sitting at a, a bar and right before a Cardinals game over the shot of tequila and just <laughs> came up with this idea of like just putting ourselves into the place of hosting the events instead of realizing somebody else's vision for a private party. Maybe we'll start doing some things ourselves. And we had come up with this idea completely accidentally, seemingly at the perfect time when the pandemic was kind of calming down. I was on the way to a ball game. So obviously social distancing was starting to loosen. Um, and, you know, we came up with this idea of these private dinner events that we immediately called my friend, Caitlin, who helped me with my website. Caitlin, thank you very much again. <laughs> um, Hello, Caitlin. And uh, we, uh, my friend Chris Bork and I and Caitlin started a, a pop-up dinner series called Place and Time, where each month we do two nights, 20 seats. And, we do a revolving concept of um, a moment in food history uh, where we take a menu from, say, the, the first dinner was uh, based on Ernest Hemingway's traveling novel, A Movable Feast. And we took food items from that book. And he spent his time in Paris in the 1920s and made a menu inspired by those items. And I pair the wine. Caitlin is, a, is an excellent bartender. And she sets kind of the scene, the vibe. And we, we change location every month and change concept every month. Um, so it was a fun thing coming out of the the pandemic. People were hungry for, for something to do, for you know, mm -hmm. experiences again. And we happened to be perfectly timed and adept at providing a really in, like intensely cool experience. So yeah, we've been doing that for a year now. And uh, it's been crazy. We've we've gotten wildly more popular than we ever anticipated. I mean, we're selling two months at a time, so two seatings of twenty a month, two two months at a time, eighty seats, and they're selling out when we release them on Instagram in like forty five seconds. <laughs> it, it is insane. So you're doing that just in St. Louis? Currently, just in St. Louis. Um, we'd love to travel. It's just a matter of finding those those connections that you know people are willing to to spend. You know, again, they're not cheap, so they're luckily very a large overlap with my clientele. So yeah. we're just—it's one of those things. I think if if we have our feelers out for long enough, we'll, we'll find it. So we all have full time jobs outside of this thing, so we don't. Nobody like needs place and time to make it. It's like uh, it's just a fun thing to it for us to kind of flex our creative muscle because we all are capable of it and really enjoy working together, and it's produce this really fun and kind of esoteric thing that if it goes on forever great if it goes on for another month we had fun doing it too so love it oh, well, where, are we, where are we finding that again so place and time is only on instagram it's uh at underscore place and time underscore um and i'm sure there's links that we can put on yeah we can definitely link links out there yep um but yeah, keep keep tuned to that Instagram page, and that's where we do all of our communication. We release tickets every two months, and uh, and if anybody nationwide is curious and having you know three bozos from St. Louis come out, makes <laughs> you a fine dining meal with your perfect what, wine and cocktail pairings, we're happy to do it. What's the last theme? So last year, or yeah, last month, I should say, we we did a uh, a theme based on the moment in Turkey. In 1453, when Constantinople, of the, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, was overthrown by Mehmet II of the Ottoman Empire and turned the city from Constantinople into Istanbul. Mm -hmm. uh, we picked that moment because, uh, one, I had just been on my honeymoon in Turkey and I was super excited about revisiting all these flavors and things. 
And two, um, there was a really cool juxtaposition possible there of the kind of Mediterranean Roman influence of food, the seafood style, lighter Mediterranean style, counterbalanced with the more terrestrial, like Eastern European Balkan area of, of cuisine moving to kind of mesh together in this city. So it was, yeah, it was a really cool kind of intermingling of Middle Eastern and Mediterranean. And uh, we did all all Balkan wine pairings with it and set up a big old table full of lush velvets and deep reds and all the gold gilded things. Um, <clears throat> it was neat. We're actually going up kind of a part from our standard uh, model for December. We're doing our first kind of large format event. Uh, we're doing a New Year's Eve party, actually. So tickets available. <laughs> ready to go. Available right now. Available on our website right now through Eventbrite. Yeah. <clears throat> uh on our sorry the instagram search okay okay and, um, and that's open to how many we have it open to 100 seats we still have seats available um well not seats it's tickets it'll be a a, a non-seated event for 100 and it's going to be a uh a salvador dali inspired party so a surrealist new year's eve party based on the dinner parties he and his friends would host in the 70s called the dinners de gala mm -hmm. uh dali's wife named gala um and just wild tablescapes and weird like headdress masks and like sur surrealist painting like inspired dress and we're gonna have some fun stuff we've got a we've got a, a geodesic dome with a fortune oh. teller we have oh. uh we have undercover interpretive dancers uh that are posing as guests to just Ooh, jump out and over and food all night drink all night it's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be a wild night um dj and yeah it wild in that it's going to be as we're going to try to make it as as surreal looking as possible but uh the food is going to be amazing chris is an amazing chef chris bork um he went to school in culinary school in london worked in london and kitchens for years has opened and run some of the most exciting restaurants in st louis and so we're i'm really lucky to have made that friendship to turned into a fun little side job in this place in time project um yeah chris is an amazing chef cool. anybody listening cool. so uh <laughs> yeah more going on than, than i probably realized so uh that's awesome and i'm a full-time dad right right <laughs> yeah how, how old is uh, my son joey is uh 18 months this month 18 months. and uh, so yeah because i've owned my own companies i have the flexibility to also be the primary well at least half time caretaker mm -hmm. between my wife and i uh, but yeah, that's the greatest thing about having the flexibility with my own business is that I, I have the time to work when I can, and I get the time to spend all this time with, with Joey that I normally wouldn't have been a normal, you know, job setting. <clears throat> cool. So those of you on audio or audible or Apple or whatever, um, this may not happen for you guys, but I'm going to have to grab a couple pictures of some of your events. I'm sure there's pictures out there, right? Oh yeah. That we yeah, can yeah. put on the YouTube and, and have the end of this show have a couple images out there. So that way you can see an example. And again, if, if you go to our Instagram page of you know place and time, we have images from all of our events up there as well. And okay. they are stunning. And it's been it's been really cool. cool. Yeah, it's it's a different venue every time. It's whether a public venue or a private home or a, a backyard or something like that. It's, it changes every month. So it's a different and setting every time. Where's the the New Year's Eve one? Where That'll be in South Side, the South St. Louis, like Dutch Town area. Okay, cool. down near Carondelet Park. Cool, cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, Joe, remind our listeners where they can find you on your websites. So yeah, my website is uh, tendedsellers dot com. Um, my Instagram is also at tendedsellers, uh, and that's T E N D E D C E L L A R S. And uh, my uh, all my contacts are on on the website if you get there place and time is underscore place and uh time underscore cool. on instagram again i think we'll be able to put those links up in mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. and uh yeah i basically like what i like to do is remind <clears throat> my clientele that it, the wine drinking or collecting is meant to be enjoyable and a lot of times when I'm, when my time is necessary, it's when somebody's gotten overwhelmed with their collection, it's out of control, there's too much inventory for them to feel like they can tackle getting it back into place. 
or somebody wants to get in, it's, it's too overwhelming to know where to start. I come in to just remind people this should be fun. Make sure it's fun, or else you're, or else you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> right. um, so you know, wine is meant to be enjoyable, not taken too terribly seriously. It's a big business, but it doesn't need to be yeah. taken too terribly seriously. Is there any other piece of advice that you would give to somebody that wants to follow their passion or dream? Let's say you can figure out that it is, you know, monetizable. And any advice you would give to somebody out there that's stuck? Yeah, I. Um... I have this, I guess it's a, it's a personal um, process where I sit with an idea <clears throat> until like you get that moment where it clicks, where like you can't, you can't talk yourself out of the, the idea making sense. Like you, I'll sit with an idea that doesn't feel right and mull over the things that are problematic for it. And eventually if it, if it's, if it's meant to happen, the things that are problematic for it will eventually solve themselves through just through spending time on the idea. Um, I, you know, I, not everybody, I suppose, is is prepared to trust their gut as much as I may have gotten myself to the point. But it is a matter of like finding a, an idea that you can't, you can't make not work. Meaning like if you can't figure a way for it to, to, to fail if you do these certain things. Um, or at least that it would always make you happy. That's the other thing. Like, it's scary, but if it's if you're miserable, God, man, that's that's a terrible place to be for potentially years. Um, so that you probably spend more time thinking about the things that you want to do outside of it. Right. It's more impetus. I don't know. For me, it was a matter of just sticking with an idea until it made nothing but sense. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, we're running out of time, but thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Yeah coming on the show here and we're gonna have to have you back on again and, and uh get some more updates with some of your businesses and ideas and yeah. maybe uh come more prepared with some wine next time i don't know what i was holy thinking. crap <laughs> that's my fault yeah i thank you very much for, for having me on too oh thanks joe yeah all right thanks guys Bye. thank you for listening to another episode of the strive for 25 podcast if you're ready to jumpstart your financial journey and take it to the next level, you may want to join our 30-day habit challenge, which you can find on our website, strivefor25.com, strive, F-O-R, the number 25.com. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram by searching strive for the number 25. And if you have any questions and want to reach out to us, you can also connect with us on our website. Thank you so much.